Thank you for listening to the Heartland College Sports Podcast, Bedlam Edition. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And remember, always take a chance while you still got the choice. From the studios of 97.1, the Sports Animal in Tulsa, Oklahoma, this is the Heartland College Sports Podcast, Bedlam Edition. I am your gracious and humble host, Eric G. And if you can't tell today, I am fighting a sinus infection. Um, <laughs> hopefully you can't. Hopefully I've got you fooled. Uh, but if you can, then you'll know that the pipes aren't what they normally are. That being said, I can still muster up about 25 to 30 minutes of good sports talk. I've already done three hours today, and I still got a lot of opinions that need to be expressed. And hopefully you're interested in those opinions. Uh, today, I'm going to make a case for Justin Blackman getting in to the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, and I'm also going to tell you why he is the three or of the four candidates between OU and OSU that are up for induction. I'm going to tell you why he is the most fascinating of those candidates. Um, we're also going to talk about how Spencer Sanders got done wrong by ESPN. And why can't this guy get any love? Not only from national outlets, but local outlets and sometimes even fans. Uh, don't recognize how important this cat is to the success of Oklahoma State. We're even going to discuss the Women's College World Series final between OU and Texas in only the way I can discuss it. So get ready for that. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Eric G. I'm the co-host of the Pat Jones Show on 97.1 The Sports Animal in Tulsa. Please download our app through the Google Play or the Apple App Store. Listen from 11 to 2, and if you're in green country, it's obviously 97-1, 96-1, or 101-1. Let's start with the Women's College World Series Final. And by the time this drops, we record on Tuesdays, usually, uh, but the podcast always drops on Wednesdays. And when this Wednesday rolls around and we drop this mid-morning, there's still a possibility of three games to be played between OU and Texas in the Women's College World Series. Now, if you came here looking for a complete breakdown of a softball matchup, this is the wrong place. Not to turn you off, but the fact of the matter is, is I don't follow softball that closely. I know what I know. I, I jump on the bandwagon late this time of year, like a lot of people do. And there are podcasts that are completely dedicated to softball, that would be better at this than I am. And there are just some flat-out OU podcasts. So, look, if that's your boat, I would encourage you to listen to them. Not that I want you to turn this one off, but I would just encourage that you listen to them. What fascinates me about this particular matchup has nothing to do with what's going on on the field, but everything off the field that surrounds OU and Texas at this moment. And think about this for a second. If you are a dyed-in-the-wool OU fan, Okay, you're an OU grad, uh, such as I am. There has never been a moment, okay, well, maybe outside of 1988, okay, the, uh, the, the winter of 1988, January through March, when OU played in the Orange Bowl for the national championship and then played in the men's college basketball national championship game. Outside of that moment, there really hasn't been a time that the entire college sports world revolved around OU. And, and at this moment, it revolves around OU and Texas. Ever since these schools, or ever since the story broke in the Houston Chronicle right after Big 12 Media Days, that OU and Texas were going to leave for the SEC, 
the college sports world has been an absolute mess. And the biggest thing that OU and Texas have done since announcing that movement is hold up the progress in the college football playoff from going from four teams to possibly 12 teams. Or as Steve Spurrier would have you uh, want or believe, it should be 16 teams. Either way, since that move, a lot of people have gotten really petty. And things they knew were coming, like the NIL and the transfer portal getting out of control, all of a sudden mean more. Why? Because OU and Texas are going to the Southeastern Conference. It's going to make that conference even more powerful than what it is to the tune of $100 million per school here in the next few years off a television contract. And even the possibility of the the SEC holding its own college football playoff without the rest of the sport. And all this just because of OU Texas. And why am I going over this again? Well, today, um, being Tuesday, I was on James Hale's show down in Oklahoma City on uh, 105.3. Fabulous station. And, and, and look, James always does a great job. But James mentioned to me while I was on his show that there are people covering this particular event that haven't been going to the College World Series. There are people from the Austin American Statesman and really Austin in general that normally wouldn't touch it, but because Texas is in the national championship, now they're up here. And as I pointed out to James, well, okay, yeah, because they're in the national championship, it's obviously a big story, but when you have other things riding out there, when you've just wrapped up the SEC spring meetings and the Big 12 spring meetings, and OU and Texas were allowed to be in some of the meetings, but not all of them. And you've got this awkward situation where OU and Texas are divorcing their wife or their husband, what have you. And they've told the kids and they've said, well, we're not moving out of the house yet. We're going to be living in the garage for the next few years. That's where they are. They're in no man's land. So what do you do? Well, Yes, it's a national championship, and because this is one of the greatest rivalries in all of college sports, you want to send your A team to cover it because it deserves that, but both Chris Del Conte and Joe Castiglione should be at these games. If they're not, it's ridiculous, but they should be. This is a prime opportunity for you to corner them and ask them questions, and maybe, not likely, but maybe they give you some answers or give you a little bit more insight as to how soon they're leaving for the SEC, even though they're both saying they're on track to leave in 2020, or they're both on track to get to the Southeastern Conference by 2025. Remember, that's on track. Very Keep those, remember those words, on track, which means we're on track to do that, but it doesn't mean it couldn't happen sooner. Obviously, it doesn't mean it couldn't happen later, but it, but it, but it doesn't mean it couldn't happen sooner. And you've got the college, you've got all this stuff hanging out there with them that while they were at the Big 12, they had to act a certain way. There were certain things they couldn't say. Maybe they divulge a little bit more information. Maybe they give you nuggets because there's no way you can ignore that while this series goes on. In fact, it's the elephant in the room while this entire series is going on. And what's funny is that both the SEC and the Big 12 can lay claim to this title. And once these two schools join the Southeastern Conference, you're going to flip on SEC TV and you're going to see this series, especially if it goes three games, play out. 
And I look, I'm probably like you, all right? OU Homer in this situation where I honestly don't think that it's going to go three games, but if it does, um, certainly it's it's better for ESPN because it creates more drama, and it's better for for OU and Texas's future network. It's just a very awkward situation. And I will honestly say, as great as I think all this is because of what what is out there to be be discussed and, and the fact that it's OU and it's Texas and there's nothing more that OU fans love to do than hold it over Texas that they beat them, especially for a national championship. I'm bummed out that it, that it's not going to be a Bedlam game. Um, OSU was better than Texas this year, flat out. And Oklahoma, Oklahoma State would have been a hell of a lot better for the state than OU Texas. OU Texas is the consolation prize here. OU OSU would have been the real gem because when you think about softball and what it means to the state of Oklahoma, yeah, it doesn't get any better than the two state schools representing to play in that national championship game. And the fear, if you're Oklahoma State, is that you won't get that opportunity anytime soon. You may get an opportunity to play in a national championship here next year or the year after that, but the stars may not align, so it's you're playing Oklahoma for that national championship. And you knew the Cowgirls were going to be confident because it wasn't that long ago that they knocked Oklahoma off in the Big 12 championship to win that in, in the final match there, or the final game there. So it's great, but it could have been a lot better had it been Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And the way that Oklahoma State lost it, you just feel sick to your stomach for Kenny Gajewski and his group. Now, on to some football and some things that uh, we can have some fun with here. And I, this is, okay, I'll admit this is going to take a serious turn. I'm just warning you right now. But I want to go ahead and get and talk about this because it deserves to be talked about. The nominations for the College Football Hall of Fame were announced this week. Uh, by the way, one guy that should get in that has ties to OU, OSU, and even the, the University of Tulsa is Larry Coker. And Larry had an incredible run at the University of Miami and was a fantastic offensive coordinator. Were, you know, whether it was whether he's wearing orange and black or crimson and cream, the guy did a did a great job. But you coached, I mean, you had this great three-year run at Miami, and you coached maybe the best overall team in college football history to a national championship. I don't see how the guy doesn't get in, but as Pat Jones mentioned today, he's kind of low-key. He's not the type of guy that's going to campaign for it. He's going to need people to campaign for it. Hopefully, who's ever listening hears my voice and says, "Yeah, I'm going to put Larry. I'm going to mark Larry Coker down on my ballot." You should, you should, sir or ma'am, mark Larry Coker down on your ballot. He's definitely deserving. Another guy you should mark down is Justin Blackman for Oklahoma State. And when I think of Justin Blackman, all right, I think of the fact that when you talk about the and look, I can get into stats. I'm not a big stats guy, but I can get into stats here um, that, you know, in the 2010 season, he had 20 touchdowns, had, had what, 1,782 yards, over 1,500 the following year when Oklahoma State won the Big 12 and 18 touchdowns. But more importantly, I think when you talk about just overall talent and what Justin Blackman has, to me, there are three, what I will call three great receivers in Oklahoma State history. 
Okay, there have been a lot of really good ones, but when you use the term great or you talk about just sheer athletic ability, guys you could count on every week when they are out there, in this order, Hartley Dykes is number one, Des Bryant is number two, Justin Blackman is number three. Now, if you want to argue with me on order, feel free. I you know, Look, those are, just, those are just mine. I want to think my, my opinion is definitive, but at G-E-E-H-S-O uh, for your top three. And the fact that both of those guys should be in the ring of honor. Now, granted, Dez is probably not going to be an NFL Hall of Famer. He's a really good receiver in the NFL, not an NFL Hall of Famer. And obviously, Hartley is not. And Hartley's had his issues. Well, then there come, and that's when we're talking about Justin. I mean, Justin is is right there. And the sad thing about Justin is, look, we all know what a waste of potential he was in the NFL because of drug issues. I mean, that's what got him. And there are a list of criteria that you need to get into the College Football Hall of Fame, or at least what they present out to voters here. And one of the ones, the one that really stuck out, all right, the ones that really stuck out for, for, just, for Justin Blackman um, is this one. While each nominee's football achievements in college are prime consideration, his post-football record as a citizen is also weighed, and he must have proven himself worthy as a citizen carrying the ideals of football forward into his relations with his community. Uh, consideration may also be given for academic honors and whether the candidate earned a college degree. All right, whatever. Um, but they're talking about the citizen game. They're playing up the character issue. Yes, Justin Blackman had his issue with drugs. And the way I look at, look, PEDs, they don't bother me. You take PEDs, I just think that's part of the game. But with Justin Blackman, and as as my as my co-host would put it, street drugs and what well, marijuana, whatever. Um, especially since now, I would say, especially now since marijuana has no stigma to it whatsoever, anybody voting should set that aside. But let's just pretend it's something harder than that for a second. The way I've always looked at addiction is it's a mental health issue, and that your predisposition to have this, and that addictive personality is going to come out one way or another, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's being obsessive, compulsive. There are all sorts of addictions that are out there, all right? And I'm not a mental health expert, but I've, well, look, I fight depression. I fight anxiety. Um, hopefully you don't. If you do, then you know exactly what I'm talking about and how difficult that can be just coping on a day-to-day basis. But at some point or another, it's going to manifest itself, and you're going to have to fight it. And with Justin, it just happened to be drugs. That's something that should be set aside. His stats on the field, his ability on the field, scream Hall of Famer. Justin Blackman deserves to be there. Now, if you're making the case that he doesn't deserve to be there because there are receivers out there with better stats or even better ability, I'll listen to that. I won't take into consideration the off-the-field issues with him. And and I'll admit, you want to call me a hypocrite on this, feel free to call me a hypocrite on this, but I've got much less of an issue with things that Justin Blackman did than 
what you have with Tyreek Hill and what you have with a guy like Joe Mixon. You know, violence towards women, violence towards kids, um, anything like anything that goes along those lines, completely reprehensible. And there's no way I could vote you into a Hall of Fame because the last thing I want is considering Hall of Fames are museums. Which, by the way, if you're ever uh, in Memphis, <laughs> there are several museums you should go see, uh, namely the Rock and Blues Museum, the Stax Museum. Uh, the Memphis Music Hall of Fame, the Civil Rights Museum, all very well worth your time. But when you walk into a museum that is supposed to be a celebration of a particular sport, and in this case, college football, violence towards women is not something that should automatically come to your mind. And when you see someone that has that associated with them, then no, you can't have that person in the Hall of Fame. And as far as I know, Justin Blackman doesn't have that. It's drugs. And I can put that, I can compartmentalize that and just think of what he did on the field and put him in. Coming up next, we'll discuss the three candidates for OU. And I'll tell you why Spencer Sanders is getting jobbed again by ESPN. Thanks for listening to the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition. Uh, we've been talking about the College Football Hall of Fame. I gave you my case for Justin Blackman, which I feel is airtight and solid, so solid that if he doesn't get voted in, it's a crime. Okay, I, I don't I don't know that I can pound my fist on the desk really for uh, any of the any of the four that are nominated between OU and OSU uh, this year. Uh, Dewey Selman nominated for OU, Josh Heupel, and Rocky Kalmus. Okay. Uh, all three great players. Of the three, Dewey's the only no-brainer. Can we agree on that? I I, I knew it. I knew as soon as I said that, it was going to get the reaction. I can, I can see it now. Why can't Rocky, Rocky won a national championship? Josh Heupel's the greatest quarterback that OU's had that's not named Baker. I, 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 I hear it all, okay? Um, here's the thing with Dewey, though. All right, this is what separates Dewey from the other two getting into the College Football Hall of Fames. And then I'll give you my thoughts on Kalmus and Heupel. Football is the ultimate team game, right? It's that That's what football is. We always talk about sacrifice. We always talk about the team and the overall impact your presence has on a team. Well, during his four years at Oklahoma, Dewey Selman's OU's team, OU teams went 43-2-1. Let me repeat that. 43-2-1. I don't care how many sacks, how many tackles for losses. I don't care about any of that. 43-2-1 is what really sticks out. Uh, in fact, when he was a starter his two years, it was 32-1-1, or his years as a starter were 32-1-1. Not to mention... He is part of the greatest football family in the history of the state of Oklahoma. Maybe the greatest football family ever. Uh, certainly, there are arguments to be made for others, but hey, I'm an OU guy. So what? What you know? What else am I going to say? But the Selmans here, and yes, they deserve a statue at OU. Um, they they deserve to be just as heralded as any of the Heisman winners. And I honestly thought Dewey Selman was in the College Football Hall of Fame, which is one of the reasons why he should he should be in. Um, I also thought Dan Hampton was from Arkansas, but he's not either. 
think I'm more surprised about who's not in the College Football Hall of Fame than necessarily who is. But of those three at OU, it's got to be Dewey Selman. The thing with Heupel, and here's the thing with Josh Heupel, the words Heupel and Hall of Famer don't necessarily go together for me. And the thing about Heupel is he and Baker Mayfield are the two most important players at OU or OU football players since 2000. Um, Baker Mayfield won because of his story and the fact that he wanted to play at OU, was able to play at OU, won the Heisman against you know seemingly incredible odds and was really part of... I mean, I guess you would say that he kind of started that run of OU quarterbacks, which honestly, I mean, when you think about OU quarterbacks, the, the truth of the matter was, I mean, there were Heisman winners before Baker Mayfield. So you want to go back to that, Josh Heupel, if you want to make the argument that he's the most important player at OU since 1999, I think I said since 2000, but since 1999, I'll give you that. But does that make him a Hall of Famer? Whether it's his numbers, whether it's the fact that he won a national championship, which, by the way, Dewey won too. And I just said, I don't care about numbers. I care about championships. And if that case, it probably should be Josh Heupel. You're like contradicting yourself. No, I just, I can't see him, I just immortalizing him in a Hall of Fame. I think that's probably a step too far. Same with Rocky Kalmus. Both really good players. I'm just not sure that they're Hall of Famers. Um, if they were to get in, would it upset me? No, I'd be happy for him. I'd be really happy for Josh, especially with the way that he got treated at OU on his way out the door. And I think we've, we found, we figured it out. Josh Heupel's a heck of a football coach. Hall of Famer, is there an argument to be made for him? Yes. Would I vote him into the Hall of Fame? The answer on that would be no. Dewey Selman, yes. Josh Heupel, one national championship. A bowl appearance, what, you were 7-5 and five the first year, and then you were undefeated the second year, and a lot of the reason, look, for as good as Josh Heupel was, I think we can all admit that a lot of the reason OU won that national championship in 2000 was that stellar defense. And of the two, you can probably make a better argument that Rocky Kalmus deserves to be in over Josh Heupel. Still, that's three players from OU that that are up for induction into the Hall of Fame, and it's hard to think that at least one of them isn't going to get the nod considering what that program has meant to the sport of college football. Now, speaking of quarterbacks, okay, terrible transition, but I'll do it anyway. Speaking of quarterbacks, Spencer Sanders, that man gets no respect. Um, This is – when ESPN did their rankings of – college quarterback situations, and they busted them down by tiers, you know, tier one all the way through tier 100 and whatever. Spencer Sanders came up in a tier nine situation. They they qualified him as a starter with moxie, and they qualified him as a game manager, which tells me whoever wrote the article hasn't sit down to watch Spencer Sanders play quarterback at Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders is a not just a game manager. First of all, he's an, a much better athlete than this article gave him credit for. And the article didn't even really write anything about his athletic ability. The low-hanging fruit, and it's not totally true, but the low-hanging fruit that should have been mentioned in this, so goes Spencer Sanders, so goes the Oklahoma State Cowboys. That's not completely true. Because the complete truth to that is 
So goes the Oklahoma State offensive line. <laughs> and what Spencer Sanders can do if they break down determines whether or not Oklahoma State is going to be competing in a in a football game. Look, um, Spencer Sanders is the will be the main part of Oklahoma State's running game for a second year in a row as OSU looks to establish a dominant running back. Spencer Sanders is proven he can throw on the run. He proved throughout this year, and especially in the Notre Dame game, that the guy is a gamer. Will he throw the ball to other teams? Yes. And no one's no one here is saying that the guy deserves to be a Heisman-nominated quarterback. But in all, in all fairness to Dylan Gabriel, nobody knows how good he's going to be at OU. And what he did at Central Florida is no guarantee that even though he knows Jeff Levy's offense is going to it's going to transition to the same kind of success at OU. We think it will, we don't know. Hudson Card, Quint Ewers, these two guys from Texas who are ranked ahead of him. Quint Ewers is a transfer from Ohio State who hasn't played. He's won the job so far. It looks like he may have won the job from cuts from Hudson Card, but how big of an accomplishment is that if in fact he won it? Because Hudson Card roller coastered last year along with Casey Thompson at Texas. And there's a good chance that both of those guys are on the outside looking in once Arch Manning decides he's going to school at Texas. That's just me thinking that he'll go to school at Texas. And I would think Arch Manning would beat out both of them. Then you've got the new kid at Baylor. I mean, he may be good, he beat out the incumbent, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's great. So what is the problem here? Why are people dogging Spencer Sanders? It comes down to one thing. It's what I already mentioned. It's his interceptions. If he just doesn't throw interceptions, okay, even if he does, Oklahoma State's still going to be good this year. But if he doesn't, then he gets the recognition. And look, I will always be on Spencer Sanders' side. I like the kid in my time covering Oklahoma State. He was not only fun to talk to, but he's pleasant. You can tell his teammates believe in him which already makes him more than a game manager. Um, and not to mention, I mean, all the guy does is win. <laughs> I mean, that's it. It's what he does. He goes out there, he wins. And he has been lucky enough. And look, if, I'll be honest, he was lucky enough last year to have a great defense to bail him out of some bad situations. Should be the case this year, although I think it's going to take a couple of games for the defense to get as settled in as they were last season. But ultimately, this guy deserves a hell of a lot better than the credit that he is getting um, from the folks at ESPN. Because, dude, I I think the guy's going to rock this year. I think he'll throw less interceptions than what he did. It, it, it all remains to be seen, obviously. But I like Spencer Sanders. And as long as he's good, Oklahoma State's got a chance to win every damn ball game they play this year. That wraps it up for me today. I appreciate you listening. Uh, I'm going to go rest the pipes. So until next week, may God bless you and your family. As the great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. And to quote the great Diamond David Lee Roth, stay frosty.